Uh, the temptation of Christ is the heading in the verses uh, is Luke chapter 4 verse 1 through 14. So if you're there, say amen. amen. Reading in uh, Luke chapter 4 starting in verse 1 it says, And Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil talked of, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All of this power will I give you and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomever I will, I give it. If you therefore will worship me, all shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. So we, we last, last class we saw that Christ was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ in the form of a dove, or in the form like a dove is really what it meant. In the, in the form like a dove, the Holy Spirit now descended from heaven. So Jesus now was basically baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's no evidence of speaking in other tongues because that's a new covenant sign. It's a New Testament sign, and this is still in the Old Testament. The cross has not happened yet. Jesus can have the fullness of the Holy Spirit because he has no sin nature and no sin. So he can have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The only person in the Old Testament that could actually have the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be Jesus because he is sinless. Okay, so right after it says, now this is where we end up in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit returned from Jordan. So this refers to the time immediately after his water baptism. The word full in verse 1 was the same Greek word in Acts for being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus never spoke in tongues because tongues is a new covenant sign of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was not an old covenant sign. I just told you that already. But, uh, the word full, you got this on your handout. Uh, you got the Greek word there, and it means to fill completely, to saturate. Jesus, as a man, needed the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus, 100% God, but 100% man. Jesus, as a man, although without a sin nature and sinless, still needed the Holy Spirit. We as men and women who have a sin nature, we are not perfect. We are not 100% God. We are zero. <laughs> if Jesus, who's perfect, sinless, no sin nature, needs the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit? On a daily basis, not just when we gather together for church. We desperately need it. It's not... It, it's not even like, hey, it's a good suggestion if you have it. No, you need it. <laughs> you, you're going to need it desperately. If Jesus needed it, then if, for you to think that you don't, you are the most prideful person in the world. This is what uh, Brother Torrance actually talked about a little bit this morning. But it, the next part in verse 1 says, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This speaks of great urgency by the Spirit. The word led, you have this on your hand, now you have the Greek word, it means to drive with force. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness with force. That you ever had where you felt like the Lord was leading you to do something you could not shake it. And you felt like, if I don't do it, I'm going to die. Uh, this is a, a light, very light example of this, but whenever uh, I ended up proposing to my wife, but I didn't do it immediately, uh, but I felt like that the Lord was kind of leading me to do it. And I, you're never, you're never sure. You won't be sure. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm just I'm gonna weigh it out and see. You know, if it's the Lord, and it's gonna keep on. It's just gonna keep on coming, and it just won't let me rest. And wouldn't you know, <laughs> it just kept on coming. And there were times where me and Sarah would we would hang out, and then we'd go our separate ways, and I not raise ways, and I actually felt like I missed it. It was like, I felt like the, the, the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart, like, hey, bud, you missed it. <laughs> and I felt like, okay, you know what? If I do not ask this girl to marry me, I, I'm going to be, I'm in the wrong here, and it's not going to let me go. So that that is a light, light example of most likely when what Jesus would have sensed when it, the Holy Spirit drove him with force into the wilderness that Jesus actually sensed, I've got to go there. I've got to go to the wilderness. Now, this also holds true for every believer. We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't mean that all problems go away. That's true. The truth is, 
Once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you actually have a bigger target mm -hmm. on your back now. And that's just the way that it is. But you're also going to be driven by the Spirit into a wilderness. A wilderness that God has set up just for you. We, we do not like we do not like trials and tests. We do not like wilderness. We do not like the breaking process. We, just, we don't like it. Our flesh does not like it. Nobody wants to experience pain and hurt. Nobody. But it's necessary. And the Spirit is actually going to drive you to it. I heard when I was in Bible college that one of the things that Brother Larson said that God has a trial with your name on it. <laughs> and specifically, He created it just for you. Because He knows what it takes to get to you. To get your attention. What the, Something that's a trial in, my, in, in the past, in pastor's life, it wouldn't necessarily be a trial for Sarah's life. So God has one specifically that He created Himself for Sarah. And one just for Pastor. That's why sometimes when you see somebody else is going through a trial and you're like, that's silly. Why does that even affect you that way? Wouldn't even affect me that way. Oh, don't worry. He's got one that will affect you the way that you think that they're crazy because that one affects them that way. Don't worry. Your name is on one. Jesus did not seek temptation. He was led into it by the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't want you to think that word temptation, that, that normally the first thing, you know, well, well God's not going to lead you into temptation. And then there's even God tempts no man. The scripture, God tempts no man. It's really understanding the Greek word that's used for tempt. It's, it's the same Greek word that's used for tempt and test. Satan, I'm going to cover this later, but I feel like because of, I just used the word. Satan uses something to Tempt, well, I'm going to change it. I'm going to word it differently because this is really how it happens. God allows something into your life to test your faith. Satan uses the same thing. Whatever God allowed, Satan piggybacks on it and he uses it to tempt. God uses the situation and circumstance to test Satan uses the same situation and circumstance to tempt. The wilderness, the, the, the actual literal wilderness that's talked about here is the desert area between Jerusalem and Jericho. Okay, so let's go to verse 2. Verse 2 says, being 40 days tempted of the devil. I don't know about you, but just one one entire day of being tempted by the devil will wear me out. Right. 
So, uh, I get 40 days, 40 days tempted of the devil. He was tempted for the entirety of this time. 40 is used multiple times in Scripture. Moses was alone with the Lord some 40 days on uh, Mount Hor. Elijah fasted for 40 days in the wilderness before the vision and the voice came to him. 40 years was the period of the wanderings of the chosen people. The Scripture does not really give us any clue as to why the number 40. There's just nothing. There's no real clue in Scripture of why God chose the number 40, but it does reoccur multiple times for what seems to be a testing period or some type of testing, trial, or waiting period. 40. But why 40? I don't have that. There you go. A real theological answer. The biblical number 40 is trials and testing. But I'm saying though, like ultimately in scripture, there's no clue why 40. Yes, it's the number used seems most often, but there's no clue as to why 40. There's just so there you go. Real theological theological. It was a real good round number. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Forty. That's just what God decided to use. So uh, the word I already gave you that. The word tempt, you have this on your handout. You got the Greek word, and it means to try, to test, to prove in either a good or bad way. So the trial comes, the test comes, whatever the situation or circumstance is, it comes, and what will it reveal? It's going to reveal what your faith is in. Either in a good way or a bad way. Well, one of the main ideas about the parable is that a house built on the rock or one built on the sand. The storm comes to both. And the storm only comes to reveal what the house is built on. Rock or sand. Is your faith built on Christ and the cross or is it built on really anything else? If it's built on Christ and the cross, then your house is built upon the rock. And when the storm comes, when the storm, not if, when the storm comes, your faith will stand the test. That'd be a good time to say, Amen, Brother Tay Pastor. Amen, Brother Tay Pastor. When the storm, it's going to come. When the storm comes, because my faith is in Christ and the cross, it will stand the test. Praise God. So the test will come and prove that my faith is good, Brother Tay Pastor. Hey, hold on you, Brother Sid. Amen. But if your faith is not, when the storm comes, that's what it will prove. Well, so... I just don't understand how people walk away from the Lord. Because the faith is in the wrong thing. So a storm came and it just it just revealed that it was in the wrong thing. So when they walk away, we're like, man, they just didn't love the Lord. Yeah. Their faith was in the wrong thing. They might have just not known where to put it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
They started off right when they got saved. They put their faith in Christ and the cross, but a preacher or a minister or a teacher or whoever it was didn't know the answer, so they didn't tell him. And then, so he got blind, lead the blind, and then now when the storm comes, no one said, Brother, you need to keep your faith right where you had it at the beginning. Because if That's you do it. that, when the storm comes, yes. you'll stand. Yes. Instead, nobody said that. The storm comes and it revealed that his faith was in something else. And they walk away from the Lord. And then we say, well, they never got saved. Ha! <laughs> okay. Yeah, can I say something? Yeah. The, uh, one of the you know, things that really is uh, troublesome, you know, for, we do it so easily, I think. Uh, when we see somebody that maybe walks away or whatever, we, we always want to judge that, judge them. And um, by saying, they didn't love the Lord, obviously. And, you know, it kind of reveals something in us, because what we're really saying is, is, they didn't love the Lord like me. Mm -hmm. I'm not walking away. They are. So obviously I love the Lord more. Mm -hmm. And it can reveal something like that. And Or we say, well, they just love sin more. It's not always the case. I mean, I realize that you know that's, that's, that can be the case, but uh, oftentimes it's what just what you said is that they just didn't really understand completely where to look. They they, yeah. they lost sight of their faith yes. in a proper place. Yeah. It's not that they didn't love God. Yeah, right. Well, it's not that they or they love to sin more. They yeah. they they might have been having an internal struggle. And they just lost sight of their faith. Like that's why over and over in the scriptures you see terminology like fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That's really all over in various phrases and forms. And so it's because of that. And we just need to lift them up and, and encourage them in the faith instead of just pointing the finger at them and saying, Right. I knew you would make it. Well, there are, and if a lot of times, like, I heard another minister say this, and it's so true. He said, "We are not, we are not like animals. We have a brain that we can actually think and reason things out. We have a cat, and he reasons nothing out. <laughs> He's just a jerk. <laughs> We're not like that." He just reacts. Whether he could be dead tired, and I pass a, a, one of his toys in front of him, and he's just going to react to it. No reason. It's just boom, reflex. We, we're not. We're, we're we were created higher than the animals. Yes. So if we just think about things, like we'll take the two examples that you just kind of talked about. The the one that okay, well, you know what they just. They just didn't love the Lord. And like you said, really, we, we don't say it. We just say that. But really what we're saying is if they just love the Lord like I love the Lord. Lord, I love you more than all of these. I'll never. Okay, Peter. Be careful. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a perfect example of that right in Scripture. A man named Peter, a disciple, who said, I love you. I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll die with you. I love you more than all of these. We all know ourselves. So there's an example. So, okay, well, that thought, we've already seen how that thought process plays out, so that can't be 
right? And then the second, that, well, they, they just love sin more. Well, my Bible yeah. says that when you get born again, you yeah. receive a new nature. Yeah. The divine nature. And the divine nature is God. Yeah. It's His nature. Which means, what does God's nature hate? Sin. Yeah. And what does He love? Righteousness. So the new nature causes you to hate sin and love righteousness. So if you're born again, so you say, well, he just loves sin more. Well, the scripture says that when you're born again, that the sin nature, you are crucified to the sin nature, you're separated from it, so it no longer has dominion, and now the divine nature does. The younger rules over the elder nature. That's what the scripture says. So to say, well, he just loves sin more, well, you just don't know the scriptures. Yeah. And we can just simply, if we just, the problem is we don't stick to scripture. We just reason in our head what sounds good. Just human reasoning. Just regular human reasoning. Well, why did they do this? Well, because of this. Well, does it line up with Scripture? Well, no. Well, then that's not the reason. You're going to have to come up with... you have to look at Scripture. And that's something that, honestly, we, we don't do very good at. And none of us. That's not. We're not just saying, like, oh, certain people. All of us. We just... We just tend to jump sometimes. Oh, well, this is the reason why. Well, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then it's, it can't be it. Unless, if, if you think so, then what you would be saying is that Scripture isn't all truth. That's why you go going to go into the ditch. So the devil tempts to hurt our faith. God tests to mature our faith. Uh, Brother Swagger's definition of the Greek word is a difficult situation, a pressure that causes a reaction through which the faith and character of the believer is demonstrated. Okay, so why did Christ have to be tempted and tested? Why did Christ have to be tempted and tested? You should have this on your hand now. The scripture reference I got is Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. So the first reason that Christ had to be tempted and tested is that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. The second reason that Christ had to be tempted and tested is that He might help those who are being tempted and tested. I'm thankful that I have a helper that's been tempted and tested, that understands the weaknesses of me because He was still 100% man. So whenever I'm tempted and tested, He doesn't look down upon me. For my weaknesses and my frailties. And one of the things I talked about in Wednesday, the law, we, we, we go to law. We love law. That's just our natural, we just go to law. That's our natural inclination. And we attempt to join the two covenants. The old covenant, which is law, and the new covenant. We attempt to bring those two together and it doesn't work. I gave the parable and thought, anyway. The... What, what we do is it's not even, we, it's, most of the time it's not some Old Testament law that we 
legitimately applied to ourselves because that's pretty blatant and pretty obvious. Like, okay, well, we have to go to Jerusalem every year in order to offer up a lamb. And if we don't, then we're not right with God. We don't, nobody's doing that. What we do is make up our own laws. And we put them on. The law of, I talked about the law of perfection. When we put that on, we'll put that on our own. I don't need any help putting that one on. I put that on myself. The law of perfection. I've got to do this perfectly. I've got to be just like Christ. That's what God desires. And it is what He desires, but He also knows that we are weak, frail, and sinful. And that we're not going to do it perfectly. And that it's okay. We have a faithful high priest who's been tempted and tested, knows your frailties, knows that we are only flesh and that we have a sin nature and that we live in a fallen world he knows all, everything that we that we face he knows so when you fail not if when you are perfect you have a faithful high priest who's yeah. consented and tested and he's able to help so could Jesus have sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? Uh, there's been a, we had a discussion about this at Bible College. The question: Could Jesus have sinned? So Luke chapter four, verse one through thirteen. Basically, Jesus is tempted. James chapter one, verse thirteen says, "God cannot be tempted." So it, it would seem, well, we got a contradiction. Jesus, who we see as 100% God, He is God, manifest in the flesh. He's tempted, but then James says God cannot be tempted. So what would seem like a contradiction, right? I mean, if you just look at that right there, we just be honest, okay, that would seem like kind of a contradiction. Well, the truth is, the answer lies in why Jesus came and how Jesus came. God cannot be tempted. But Jesus was 100% man. He walked the earth as a man. That's why he had to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he was a man. He didn't have, he didn't have those attributes that uh, deity has. We talked about this in one of the last classes. Yeah. He, he didn't have, omni, he wasn't omnipotent. He wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't... Uh, Yes, thank you. He wasn't. He didn't. He didn't. He, he didn't operate in that. Yeah, yeah. He operated just like us. Yeah. He didn't. He couldn't see what was all down the road right. unless the Lord revealed it to him. Unless the Holy Spirit revealed it to him, he couldn't see. He couldn't see what he would face five minutes from that moment unless the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Right. Same thing for us. Yeah. Everything. He operated just like a man. He came to be our perfect representative. He had to live as a man, not God. God cannot represent us. A man has to represent us. Adam is our rep was our representative man, and he blew it. So when Adam sinned, we all sinned because we were all in Adam. That's how God viewed it. When Adam sinned, 
We all sinned. That's how it worked. And I'm glad it did. Because, because God set it up like that, that it meant that another man, if God deemed to be my representative, if he could do it perfectly, because what was true of the first Adam must be true of the last Adam, or the second Adam. So if I'm in the first Adam, and because I'm in the first Adam when he fails, I get his failure. I inherit it. Then that means that if the second Adam does it perfectly and I'm and I get in him, then I inherit his victory. Well, the story goes just like that. That the second Adam or the last Adam, Jesus, happened to do it perfectly. So then, if I get in Christ, which I get in by faith in the person of Christ and the work of Christ, when I get in Christ, then I inherit. Come on. But he had to live as a man, not God, because he had to be our representative. And we are not gods. We are men, man. Jesus had a free will, just like the first Adam had. It had to be just the same. God created man to have a relationship with him. Relationships are two people who want to be around each other. It's not force. Jesus could have sinned, however, Jesus would not have sinned. He could have, but he would not. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in the three root temptations lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes, pride of life. Every temptation that you face in this life falls in the category of one of those three. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All of Jesus' temptation was for him to not do God's will. God's will for Jesus was to go to the cross. So everything was... Every temptation was to get him to step out of the God's will, God's revealed will for his life, to get him to step out of that. Every temptation that you are going to face, that's going to be a motivating factor to get you to step out of God's will, to not accomplish God's will for your life, to not do the revealed will of God, or to step outside of the revealed will of God is a better way to say it. Alright, another section for verse 2 says, In those days he did eat nothing. So talking about Jesus fasting in the wilderness. This speaks of the Lord fasting for 40 days and nights. Adam faced Satan who used the serpent in a garden with plenty to eat. Jesus faced Satan in a wilderness with nothing to eat. 
Adam faced Satan in the perfect environment and failed. Jesus faced Satan in the total opposite environment. Just like what Brother Torrance said, a desert, wilderness, nothing's living there. Adam faced Satan in the perfect environment. And he didn't have a sin nature. Jesus faced him, faced Satan in the worst environment. If, based off of what, uh, I like sports, so a good uh, sports way to understand this in my head is, Adam was the home team <laughs> against Satan. Adam was the home team, and he lost. Jesus was the away, he was visiting. He was the away team, yeah. and he won. Jesus was on the road in Satan's territory and won. Satan came to Adam's and Adam lost. That's just a pretty easy way for my sports brain to grab a hold of that. It was through the once passions and desires of the flesh that caused Adam and Eve to fall in the Garden of Eden. Satan suggested that they would be as gods if they partook of the forbidden fruit. Thus the groundwork was laid for the sin of the pride of life. The pride of life. You'll be as gods. Pride of life. Who you are, what you have, position that you hold, title that you have. Pride of life. What I am, what I do, who I am. Pride of life. As you be as gods. Well, as gods seems it seemed better than what they had. But it wasn't. The pride of life questions God's word. In effect, saying it is not true. That was did it, does it, did he really say that? He just knows that if you eat it, then you'll be as God's. Well, God said, don't eat it. Yeah. Well, is it really true? I mean, come on. Is it, does it really say that? This happens all the time. Yeah. All the time. And this, like, not just with the world. What does the Bible really say? I'm talking about in the church, even. Yeah. Why do you think we got fifty thousand denominations and nobody can agree on? We got certain, we got doctrines that split churches right down the middle. Yeah. Because one believes that it says this, and the other believes it doesn't. What does it really say? Hmm. Does it really say that Christ is the only way? Yeah, no, it really does. Yeah. Does it really say that the baptism of the it say, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for today? Like, well, it doesn't say that, so yeah. you've just twisted it just a little bit. It's the same gimmick that was in the garden. Yeah. 
There's nothing new under the sun. We fall for the same thing. All that the enemy has to do is just dress it up a little differently. Put it in a different box and we'll fall for it. But it's the same thing. The next step was easier, which was the lust of the eyes. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so first the pride of life, you'll be as gods. And then she looked and saw, well, that's good for food. Lust of the eyes. The next and final step was the lust of the flesh. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Thus was laid Satan's method of temptation, which has varied very little through the ages. He questions God's word, enticing man to look and then to take. All of this was through the flesh or wants, passions, and desires. The flesh of man must be defeated with the regenerated spirit of man made supreme. If the flesh rules, sin will always result. So the next part in verse 2 says, and, then, and when they were ended, he afterwards hungered. So after 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. Jesus faced the rigors of a 40-day fast exactly as anyone else, which just proves that he was, what, 100% man. Yeah. And that he was operating as a man because God doesn't get hungry. Yeah. And there's no need for God to fast, I guess, because he doesn't get hungry. So we right. get fast. So this, it just reinforces that he's a man. He's operating as a man. Yeah. Not as God. Okay, verse 3. Verse 3 is where we see temptation number 1. It says, And the devil said unto him, So this was not a vision, but was literal. If thou be the Son of God, so it should have, should have been translated, since you are the Son of God. So here comes the setup right here. Since you are the Son of God, a truth. Satan's going to start with a truth. Yeah. Because if, if, if it doesn't have truth in it, you won't bite. You don't go fishing without bait. If you just throw a hook out there and you won't catch anything unless it's just an idiot fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Satan's not going to come at you without some truth. Because you won't take, you're not going to bite a hook. But if there's bait on it, fishing one on one. No bait, no catch. <laughs> so he gives him a truth. Since you are the Son of God, which he was. Yeah. Not a lie there. Then he says, command this stone that it be made bread. Seems harmless, really. Doesn't it? That seems like it wouldn't affect anything but just Jesus. Nobody's going to miss that stone. That stone being turned to bread affects no one's life, basically, I mean, immediately. The temptation was designed to gratify the flesh. 
Jesus was hungry and there was no food. He had the power to turn the stone into bread and meet his need. We also have needs. And most of the time, we will come up with a way to meet, we'll scheme and plot a way to meet that need, even, and we'll, we'll make it sound real spiritual. <laughs> because we're, well, after all, we are Christians. Praise God, we believe in the Lord. But it's really all us. It's all us. We scheming and plotting, and we're like, well, yeah, we're just seeking the Lord. We'll stop scheming and plotting then and just wait. The hardest thing to do as a believer is wait and do nothing. That's true. It's to just wait. That word, W-A-I-T, four-letter word, we view it as a cuss word. If you, <laughs> as believers, wait. Oh, wait. It's the hardest thing to do is wait. Is to just stand still. The, the, just it's so hard because we like control. So if I don't have control, I, I freak out. And then Lord, what's that? Wait, <sighs> Lord, why do you hate me? <laughs> but that's how. That's just we got to be. We have to be real. Be honest. When the Lord, if the Lord tells me wait, I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I, I've experienced that. Ah, it's horrible too. I mean, because it, we hate it. No, and then of course we get, bless God, we're so spiritual. No, <laughs> Lord, 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 we want to work for you. Lord, we want to. He's well able to meet whatever it is that you have. He, he's, <coughs> he's not blind to the need. Yeah. If he hasn't met it yet, it might just be a test of your faith. Not a test of your ability to perform. That's true. That's how we view it most of the time, though. That the test is to see my ability to perform. No, the test is of your faith. Which probably means wait. <laughs> Just wait. Just stand still and let God move. Standing still is hard to do. When you feel you have reached the end Standing still 
Because it, that's, that's your object of faith now. And if God doesn't move and meet that need, then He's not faithful. Oh, come on. Well, He's always been faithful. Yes, He has. And that even if He doesn't meet the need, He's still faithful. Right. Because that storm that came is just a financial issue. But that storm revealed what your faith was in. And if it isn't in what Christ has done for you at Calvary, then your faith is built on the sand and the financial storm reveals it. But if it's on the rock, then the storm of finances come and you are not moved. That you still got to shout and praise and then, well, well, they didn't meet the need. The whole I'm yours. Because Calvary still happened. And I still have everything that I need. And if the Lord didn't provide it, then maybe I just didn't need it. Because it's not the most important thing in life. The most important thing in life is Christ. Not the job you have. Not the vehicle you drive. Not the list goes on and on. If all of those things go, yeah. I still have everything. Yes. Other people might think that I don't. But I don't care. I know that I know that I know that I know that I have the greatest treasure that there is. Yeah. And you can't take it from me. You can take everything else, but you can't take that. 
And I've learned that that one thing is enough. I didn't learn it easy. But I know that He's enough. And I know that His grace is sufficient every time. I don't know the trial that's up ahead for me. I don't know it. But I know His grace. So the root is the lust of the flesh. This concerns our senses, feelings, and appetite. Okay, verse 4 says, And Jesus answered him. So Jesus' answer is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It said, and then the scripture says from verse 4, Jesus answered him, saying, It is written. It should never be my church says. Yeah. Right. My pastor says. Sister so-and-so says. Brother Tan pastor says. But rather, my Bible says. Yeah. It is written. God says. That's, that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. What does God say? Yeah, but if I go with what God says, then they'll disown me. Well, it's your choice here. What does God say? The entirety of Jesus' life up to this point had been spent learning the Word, which we talked about in his boyhood. Verse 4 says, That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The physical body has to have bread for physical nourishment and sustenance. As well, the spirit of man has to have the Word of God for spiritual sustenance. It is just as important and more so than the former. Spiritual nourishment is more important than physical nourishment. We don't view it that way, but it is. Sadly, much of the church falls into the bread alone category. Our daily food is prepared and attended in a loving way. The Word of God is given short shift, if any of that. Now, if you're from the South, we love food. We find reasons to get together to eat food, to make food. We make up holidays just to eat <laughs> food. Physical food. But let it come to spiritual food. And the truth is, we ain't making up any reason to get together. And even if we're given one, we it doesn't take anything big to prevent us. If I, I said this in Bible college one time, and 
it was just something that the Lord kind of dealt with me about. But if you could actually see the spirit man of people, you'd be shocked of how malnourished our spirit mans are because we don't feed. We, we don't feed. Our spirit man, the word of God, not regular. We eat three times a day, sometimes four, five. I'm not. I'm not giving you law. I'm not saying if you don't read, God's not pleased with you, and you're not saved. I'm saying that you're starving. Yeah. And it it doesn't. It actually benefits your faith. Paul said, "All things are lawful." But not all things are expedient. This is actually expedient. Right. It's going to strengthen you. Therefore, it's good. But there's no thou shalt read or perish. It just it's expedient. Christ's answer was this is the revealed word and will of God. The will of God for every person is the cross. Christ would not step out and do anything that God had not instructed him to do. If it wasn't God's will and he did not tell him to do it, then Christ would not do it. We blow that test. We bomb that one. We bomb it. Uh, every single one of us. We do stuff that God never said. All the time. Yeah. And most of the time we don't think it's a big deal. But based off what I see in Scripture, if God doesn't initiate it, then it's wrong. Even if it's something good. One, there's a minister at the Bible college, well, he's not at the Bible college, but he's connected, and he actually started a ministry, and right in the, in the ministry, wasn't it, it wasn't even doing bad necessarily, but the Lord spoke to him and said, what are you doing? He said, we're working for you, Lord. He said, well, I didn't tell you to do that. And he had to shut it down. Yeah. Right. He did. And he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was something good. Bro. But God didn't tell him. Right. You really want to be like Christ? There you go. Don't do anything unless God says do it. That's how we've fallen way farther than we think. Temptation number two says, And the devil taking him up into a high mountain. This literally happened. There's not a vision or anything. It says, He showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse six says, And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them. So Satan captured many kings by the offer of part of the glory of earthly dominion and he tried to capture Christ by the offer of the whole. 
However, the object of the heart of Christ was God and His will and not earth and its glory. Christ did not despise the throne of the earth, but He would only have it as His Father's gift. It's not that Christ didn't want it. He was just only going to get it if His Father gave it to Him. And He wasn't going to get it any other way. If God doesn't give it to me, it's not for me. That's basically what He was saying. But if it's for me, then He'll give it to me and I don't have to get it myself. That's it. Praise God, Brother Dan Pastor. That's right, baby. If the Lord has it for me, He's going to give it to me. And if it's not for me, it's not for me. Just let the weight just come right off. You don't have to work it out. If it's for you, He'll give it to you when it's time. His way. As the story of David, is likened, David is likened a lot to uh, he said he's got a heart after God's own heart. And uh, one of the things that David had, he was he knew he was already anointed to be king. He, he, it was already a prophet Samuel himself anointed him to be king, so he knew that that was going to be the case. Saul was after him, trying to kill him, and he had an opportunity to take Saul's life twice. And in the natural thinking, justify you justified David by doing that. I mean, Paul, I, you know God's anointed you already. And uh, God probably gave you that opportunity to take his life and take the throne. Right. And David said, no. Exactly. No. Right. I'm not going to touch God's anointing. In other words, what David was saying is, I'm going to let him do it. Yes. He's going to establish me. I'm not going to take it myself. And that was, it, it's, I'm not comparing David to Christ in that sense, but that is exactly what happened here. Yeah. Is that no? no. Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys. I'm going to assume that it's the same. But I just look at I look at this that Satan came with that temptation and, and what I said earlier I'll read it again because I think it's very powerful. Satan basically offered up the whole kingdom of earth. Yeah. To Jesus, and he he captured kings with part offers, but with Jesus, he just went all the way, yeah. full guns blazing. I'll give you the whole thing, not just part, the whole thing. I say, however, the object of the heart of Christ was God, yeah. right. and His will, and not earth. <coughs> I don't know about you, but I'll. That's what I want to be the object of my heart. Right. Sometimes I, 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 I'll just be real transparent with you for, for me. Sometimes I struggle with the line of that God is on that place of my heart and then law in the aspect of why well, I can't have anything. 
that we would consider nice. God, just be can just be honest and real. Right. Mm -hmm. Because then, if I get something nice, then oh, it must be that that's the object of my heart's desire. Yeah. And I kind of battle with that sometimes. Like, okay, well, it doesn't mean that Christ ultimately ended up getting the kingdoms of the earth. Yeah. He's going to have. Okay. Yeah. Well, didn't we know that Satan was a liar anyway? <laughs> he did, he did. Well, that's, I just look at that. That the, uh, the, there was, the only thing in Christ's heart was God and His will. Right. Mm -hmm. yes. And I'm, I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm far from that. And I'm just, Lord, help me. Change, change me, Lord. I need your grace. Hmm. So Satan attempts. Okay, Satan attempts to get Jesus to focus on the glory of the world rather than the glory given by God. Satan attempts to get Jesus to take rulership of the world prematurely by passing the cross. Yeah. I'll give you I'll give you all of this without you don't even have to go to the cross. I can give you that without suffering. Same thing for us. I can I can do that for you without going through that valley. Without going I don't have to go through that valley, brother, sister. And we can look why it's safer for longer. Yeah, because we don't really want to go through it. We don't really want to go through the valley. But it's safe in my eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the next part of verse 6 says, For that is delivered unto me. Talking about the kingdoms of the world. It refers back to the Garden of Eden. When Satan gained such authority because of the default of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Adam and Eve had dominion over the animals, the earth. God gave it to them. They had the dominion. But when they sinned, they fell, they forfeited it over to Satan. Yeah. Adam and Eve literally just handed it to him. Way to go, Adam and Eve. God gave them dominion of the earth and they in turn gave it to Satan. It says, and to whomever I will, I give it. So Satan is now the pseudo-ruler of the world, which just means faith. He does not, however, have absolute autonomy. God is still in control. He is able to give rulership to certain people but only by the permission of the Lord. This can be seen in Daniel. Right. Chapter 10. It says that God raises up kings and brings down kings. And you look, we, you, you can look in history and see, well, that was an evil king. They were, you know, Satan was totally in control. But yet God allowed... <coughs> well, you, if you go through... The book of Daniel, which if this class we just keep on trucking along and we just keep on going different books, we'll get to Daniel. <laughs> but 
What the things that you see in Daniel, all the different kingdoms that ruled that that Israel would have been in bondage to, basically in bondage to, in captivity is the better word. Though. If this Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Babylon starts there, and you see Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's king, God raises them up. God brings them down and raises up another kingdom, Greece. Yeah. Huh. Oh, Medes and the Persians, right? Yeah. And then from the Medes and the Persians, God raised them up, brings Babylon down, they're up, and then here comes Greece, and there goes the Medes and the Persians, and up comes Greece. The things that they don't teach you in world history. Yeah. When I was in school, Alexander the Great, what we view, we, school, Secular school as the great one of the greatest rulers to ever walk the earth at the age of twenty six years old he conquered the known world. I'm twenty eight now. When I was in Bible college and we were learning this, I was twenty six. Brother Bob said it would be like Tanner being the president of the United States. Crazy. Alexander the Great. Right. One of the greatest military minds that's thought of ever. Why? Because he was demonically influenced. Yeah. 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 All over the place. Right. But yet, you still, every time I look at it, I'm still just blown away and amazed that God still is in total control. Right. Because whenever God was ready to raise up another one and bring down... He was still able to bring down Greece, no matter how great Alexander the Great was. Because God's in control. He just... And you say, well, well Satan was obviously in control. No, no, no. Satan rules, God overrules. Yes, yeah, yeah, come on. Okay, verse 7 says, If thou therefore will worship me, this presents Satan's condition. See, there's always, there's always a condition. So I'll give you all of this. You won't even have to go to the cross. You won't even have to suffer. I'll just give it to you right now. All you got to do? Worship. He wanted worship because he wanted to be God. Satan presents to Jesus a shortcut, which is a lie. To govern a world plagued by sin and shame, resulting in pain, poverty, sickness, and death, would be an undesirable gift. So what he was offering him was junk. <laughs> right. Doesn't If I say, I'm going to give you a gift, I'll give you this gift. And what I'm giving you is so beat up. Nobody would even pay two cents for it. And I'm like, I'll give you this. Get, I'll give you, I'll give it to you right now. And you're gonna get it later on down the road, totally refurbished. You want it now or you wanna just wait and go through the necessary steps to get it when it's that's basically the whole idea. Jesus was gonna get it, but he was gonna get it 
in good condition. <laughs> and Satan said, I'll give it to you right now, but that condition was horrible. So Satan says, all shall be thine. The root is the pride of life. Our reasoning to, to think things through on a human level, an exaggerated view of self and selfishness. So verse 8 says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, uh, So this addresses itself to worship as the first addressed itself to desire. Men desire the wrong thing. We don't desire God. So we desire the wrong thing, and then that causes us to worship the wrong thing. So Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. This is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, and verse 6, verse 13, chapter 6, verse 13. The inheritance would not be won by any shortcuts, but by a slow and painful process, by self-denial, self-sacrifice, self-surrender. The benefits of Calvary will only be gained through self-sacrifice, self-surrender. I forgot the one that I just gave. Self-denial, self-sacrifice, self-surrender. They've already been provided, but you're going to have to deny yourself. Otherwise, you can never walk in it. Because you can't have both. You can't have your way and God's way. Christ has already done it. And they're yours. But in order to have justification by faith, you've got to surrender whatever way you believe you are justified. In order to have the righteousness of God in Christ, you've got to surrender and deny yourself of any other way of righteousness than that which you have in Christ. In order to have victory over sin, you've got to deny yourself from every other way of getting victory except for the way of the cross, which says that Christ has already done it. And you can go on and on and on. God's will is going to butt heads with your will. God's will for your life is going to butt heads with your will at times. So which one are you going to go? God's way or your way? Dying to self is just not what we want. Because don't you know that I have goals, aspirations, and dreams? Welcome to America. And we pitch it, the American dream. Yeah. 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 Well, if you're saved, born again, and you operate based off of this, you're going to have to throw that out the window and deny it. Right. It, doesn't, it, it can't go hand in hand with the gospel. There is no way we're going to finish this section. Yeah. <laughs> so we are done with temptation number two. So next week, we will go to temptation number three. I wasn't 100% sure because there's a lot of stuff there. So 
We just got to go in. Shut down. We ain't got a shot.